Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Crane. Hi, this is Jimmy Crane, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, sponsored by the good people at Hotel Lincoln. The next time you find yourself here in the city of Chicago and you're looking for a cool boutique hotel that's close to everything, it's right around the corner from the Second City, it's across from the beautiful Lincoln Park Zoo, minutes to Chicago's loop and shopping, it's not only improviser-friendly, it's also pet-friendly, not many hotels can boast that, it's the official hotel of improv nerd. Hotel Lincoln. And a quick plug to my award-winning improv classes here in Chicago, The Art of Slow Comedy. I limit my classes to 12 people, so you get plenty of stage time and personal attention. It's really about slowing your scene work down so you can find the game quicker. And it's really about learning how to be real before you can be funny. For more information, go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's The Art of Slow Comedy Classes. We have got a great episode for you today. From ABC's The Goldbergs, and HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, writer, producer, actor, improviser, stand-up, author, director, Jeff Garland. This is the first time that we got Jeff to come in and do an improv nerd in front of a live audience, and he got to improvise with me, which was just a blast. And I've known Jeff Garland probably 25 years, when we first both started out here in Chicago in the 80s, doing uh, one-person shows. He did a show called I Want Someone to Eat Cheese Wish, which I believe started at the Second City ETC, and then I was doing my show. I'm 27. I still live at home and sell office supplies at The Annoyance. And so we kind of, we were in, there was a very small one-person show community. It was like three or four of us, and uh, I met him there. And since then, he's always been very generous with me uh, when I was at... uh, on public radio and WBEZ. Uh, he always agreed to do interviews. And when I did Improv Nerd, he actually did an interview about a year and a half ago, uh, just a straight-on interview, and then he agreed to do this. And I just want to say before we go on, the gratitude and thanks for Jeff's uh, support over the years. I really, really appreciate it. And the other thing I appreciate about Jeff is his, is his authenticity. Um, many people who go out and become as, as, as successful as he uh, aren't as authentic anymore. They're afraid to say anything bad about anybody, especially in Hollywood, uh, because they fear that they may uh, jeopardize their job situation. And in this interview, Jeff talks about a couple things, his, his ban on The Tonight Show and working with Julia Roberts. And how he says, and I, I, this, this, I admire Jeff for this, and this is something that I'd like to live more in my life, and that is Jeff believes what other people say about him is none of his business. And if I could adapt that into my life, my life would be so much better and so much bigger. And the thing I, I admire the most about Jeff is his honesty about himself. I mean, here's this guy that is, is he's working on himself, and, and he talks about meditation, he, he talks about his struggles with food, and, and he's working on himself. And it's a direct effect of, of, I believe, his success. And we talked about an incident that happened about a year and a half ago, I believe, and it was a TMZ covered it. Uh, where he was in a parking lot and a woman, I, I don't want to go into the story because he tells it and, and he, he actually gets arrested. And th- th- and how he takes that and he turns that into comedy. 
and how he's willing to talk about himself and he's willing to be vulnerable about himself. That's the thing that I admire. And that's, to me, when I hear authenticity, that's the thing. He's not afraid to tell on himself. And uh, it's something that I really would like to do even more of. And I think my wife, uh, who who came to the show, uh, the recording of the show, gave it the highest compliment. And my wife is not an improviser. And my wife is not in comedy, though I, I believe since she's been around me, her timing is, is really improved. But she is a performer deep down. We, we need to get her in a musical or this, this marriage is not going to last. But she said it was very inspiring for her. So um, I think that's a really high compliment. And it was very inspiring for me as well. I think you're going to take a lot of stuff out of this interview. It doesn't matter if you're a stand-up, an actor, a writer, uh, an improviser. You are going to really, uh, I hope, get a lot because Jeff gave a ton of great nuggets uh, f- f- uh, in this interview. So here it is, the Jeff Garland interview. And, and, and you don't have to adjust your um, – if you think like, oh, I'm talking slow today, I'm just really exhausted while I'm recording this. So um, I, I don't want to apologize. I just want to acknowledge it. So here we go. But I'm not tired in, in, in the interview part. So just so just so you know that. Here we go. The Jeff Garland interview. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, is a nerd. Oh yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, is a nerd. I just wanna say this. I love you because you have been so supportive of me over the years. Why wouldn't I be? I mean we 27, it's, we've known each other, I don't know, 25, 23, 20, 25 years. I'd 25 say. years. You always are, I'll do the interview, and I really appreciate it. You've done it f- at least four or five times. And oh, I, I, it's all cool. Okay, I just, I just wanted to thank you. Um, uh, you like moleskins, right? I love moleskins, yeah. Yeah, I bought this like over in Belmont. There's a little um, off, like art supply store, but it's a gift. Thank you. Oh. And um, I took off the plastic and the orange thing. Uh-huh. Uh, let them get rid of it. Okay. <laughs> no, because, you know, I bought it there, and it's like, I don't want you to have to be responsible for, you know, that plastic's not recyclable. The orange is, who knows what they'll do. Chicago's a shitty recycle town. <laughs> it really Look, is. It upsets is, me. This is what I love about you. You're so opinionated. You, you're so revealing. You're, you are very authentic. Now, are you... How are you not afraid what people think of you? It's none of my business what people think of me. <laughs> now you say that, but, but what do you really mean by that? I mean, it's none of my business. Think of me, <laughs> think of me what you want to think. Because the only, the only business that I have is what I think of me. And I, you know what I'm also, I really am concerned with is what my boys, my sons think of me. That means a lot to me. Other than that, I don't give a shit. <laughs> because, I mean, even like uh, when, when, when Conan was, was kicked off The Tonight Show, you said, I'm not going to do The Tonight Show. Yes. Now, is that, now, to me, that is a really bold move. Yes, it is, because I was, I think the only two people who said that were myself and Tom Hanks. <laughs> One of us had a lot more to lose. <laughs> But to be honest, I don't give a shit. The Tonight Show, since Johnny Carson stopped hosting The Tonight Show, it doesn't make or break a career. A movie doesn't open big. You never hear, oh, the movie opened big because he promoted it on The Tonight Show. You know, so it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's just noise. So the only shows I want to go on are somebody like Jon Stewart or Conan, who I think are funny and interesting. 
Otherwise, I don't want to go on these stupid shows. But even, you know, I was listening to your interview on Howard Stern, which was great, and I'd never heard the story about Julia Roberts. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah. <laughs> Can I do a short version? Yes. Yeah, please, yes. I did a movie with her, a Steven Soderbergh movie. She was mean to me from the get-go. I told her to go fuck herself. Uh, she ended up liking me, but too late. Uh, and then I uh, was doing publicity one time. Somebody asked me about it. I um, talked about it. And then she was in the same town as me. Long story short, my wife played a great practical joke on me. I thought Julia Roberts called my house. And uh, she didn't. It was someone from Mad TV who did a great Julia Roberts. And, but I wasn't scared. I was like, well, fuck her. She did say that. As I'm listening to the message from the fake Julia Roberts. Well, she did all this stuff. So, you know, I just, yeah, it's a, whatever. But here's the thing that I think is interesting is you're willing, Julia Roberts is an institution. And yes. most actors would be afraid and wouldn't say anything about that. Because, well, you know, the thing is, if, if you're being, who gives a shit what somebody is? If somebody treats you poorly... She treated me poorly. She was rude to me. How was she and rude to you? And I asked the other actors in the scene, was she, and they're like, yeah, and they investigated, and she said, yeah, she doesn't like me. She didn't know me. She just made a judgment. Then she liked me. But you know, as I said, fuck her. <laughs> I don't care. What do I have to, I got nothing to lose. What do I have to lose? Is show business going to shut down? Oh, he told Jay Leno and Julia Roberts to go fuck themselves. Uh, we're not going to put him in this movie. Who gives it? Now, mind you, if someone's really tight with Julia Roberts or Jay Leno, they, they might might look down on me. But, you know, look, you, you, all right, let me ask you a question here. How many, how many truly untalented people do you think there are in Hollywood that work? Probably like 40%. <laughs> no, I think that's a little high on the untalented. I mean, I think there's some people that are not great that are working, but untalented, you know, I'd say about 25%, which is a lot. Uh -huh. I think I'm talented, and I have no ego. I'm mm -hmm. very confident. And I, I am unsettled by what's going on with them boys. <laughs> I don't know. Does someone have a film camera? Because I'll accept that. <laughs> I love cameras. Um, but um, I don't know what I was saying. You were talking about untalented, you don't care. Can I be honest about this book? Yes. I bought it, and then I bought it, it's brand new. Right. But walking here, I thought, I'm never going to write in it. <laughs> so this, this, I did not have you in mind. Okay. <laughs> it's brand new. When did, when, did, when did you decide to give it On to me? On the walk here from Belmont. Okay, so I bought a guitar at the Chicago Musicians. Which you're going to use. I hope. Okay. Uh, ideal Jeff is already playing it. Uh, <laughs> real Jeff, real Jeff is uh, it's shipping, and I don't know if I'll open, open the box. But you know, on the way, I'm like, hey, who are you? You're not writing a journal. And then, boom, there you go. <laughs> I'm happy to give it to you. You know, the other thing I found interesting is when you were at the University of Miami, yep. you were thinking of you. You were a film major. Yes. At that point in your life, what were you thinking you were going to be? A film director. And then, how did you stumble into stand? Well, I was I was always the funniest kid in school, all through elementary school here in Chicago, and then I moved to South Florida. Still was the funniest kid, and then I went and studied film. And then one night on my twentieth birthday, I went to the local comedy club, the Comic Strip, 
and watched the comics. And then I went, I'm going to audition next week. And I went the next week. I passed auditions. And I told my parents I was done with school. <laughs> How did they take that? Not good. Okay. I'm not happy. They, they knew I was funny, but they were not. So I, you know, you want to please your parents. And I love uh, my mother. My dad passed away a couple years ago. I, I loved him so much. So I wanted to please. You know, you do that when you're younger, you know, and... Some people do that their whole lives. I, I do, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's worked out well, let me tell you. We can talk about that. Right. Anyhow, um, I, uh, what was I talking about? You still have ADD, I take it. Oh, I have it bad, man. Worse than back... Oh, my parents. Yes. So I went to, I went to Miami a while longer, went to the community college, Brown Community College for a while, still studying film and all that stuff, but I, I uh, eventually just I moved here. From Florida. So you had done stand-up in Florida. Yeah. How'd you do in Florida? Pretty well? Yeah. Yeah. For a starting guy, you know, I was, I was funny, but my material was completely hackneyed. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of crap, you know. And so I, you know, I, and, but, you know, there was something there. And I came here, and I was really kicking it, you know. In stand-up. In stand-up. So why did you decide to study at Second City if you wanted to do stand-up? I always wanted to do Second City, too. I loved SCTV. I love John Belushi, I love Bill Murray, so there was no doubt that I was going to go to Second City. But I was doing both, and, but the great thing is, Second City was affecting my stand-up because, well, all right, here's what happened. Okay. So I'm, in, so I'm doing Second City, and back when I was doing Second City, there were two classes, beginning and advanced. Mm-hmm. That's all there was. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> There was no whatever corporate shit they got going. Uh, I'm sure there's some good teachers there. There are. And I know you're teaching. Yeah, I teach. Because I went on your website. I'm like, oh, he's teaching. Yeah. He'd be a good teacher because he's funny and he knows what he's doing. Um, A lot of teachers, I swear to God, not funny and don't know what they're doing. And by the way, you don't have to be funny to be a good improviser, but you'd have to do drama. Like you can, you know... uh, uh, what's his name uh, made all those great improvised movies? He used to do commercial movies to pay for his uh, indie movies in the '60s. What's his name? Um, Casabetta. Yes. Yeah, and and as a matter of fact, I do the Goldbergs in order to. I love the Goldbergs. Don't get me wrong. I really do. It's mm-hmm. hard work, a lot of learning of lines and such. Which you hate. Anyone does. Right, not, but you have actually, always hated doing, learning lines. I do. I'm, I'm better at it now because mm-hmm. the, the secret to, about learning lines is you have to really learn them in order to be a good actor. Mm-hmm. You can't do a good job and not know your lines. It's just because you're worried about your lines. So you have to... Uh, to pay, I have, a, I have a, a dialogue coach and all that stuff. But the reason I do it is so I can keep making indie films and doing you know indie projects and stuff like that. The same way Cassavetes did, like... Uh, the Dirty Dozen or mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby, which are both great movies. Mm-hmm. But the only reason he was interested in doing them was to pay for his artistic endeavors. So we're at Second City. You're doing stand-up and improv. Right. I'm just trying to keep and, you on. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait. Anyway, I, I digress like nobody's right. business. I need coffee today. Not now. I don't drink coffee. I drink Americanos. Okay. Which are sort of like a pussified <laughs> shot <laughs> okay. in the water. Um, but anyhow, because it helps my wee. And I do have a show tonight, you know. Um, so, um, so at second, at, at, when I was doing stand-up, I was still doing the hackney bullshit stuff, and Lou Schneider, um, Lou who, Schneider, who was, was a stand-up here, uh-huh. and, um, 
He went on to be a producer on Everybody Loves Raymond, and he's now one of the producers of the Goldbergs. He's mm -hmm. one of my oldest friends. But we were friends, and he'd never seen me perform. And he came to see me perform, and uh, um, he was on the bill with me, and I walked off, because back then I was all about ego. You know, now I no ego. Ego is mm -hmm. bullshit. Nothing good ever happens from having an ego. Mm -hmm. Any ego. Zero is perfect, you know. Well, what's the difference between ego and confidence with you? Because I've always said you've had a, you have a lot of confidence. Even I do. Well, ego means that I'm going to be emotionally uh, attached to that confidence. In other words, there's nothing, you know, someone could sit down here and say they're the best improviser who ever lived, and they've done more for improv than anyone or whatever. I don't give a shit. Let them say it. Now, I don't know, that's not necessarily me, but I'm saying I don't, I don't care. I've got no, no competition, no ego. I'm just confident in what I do, and I do what I do. When they say the best uh, revenge is success, there's nothing more true. Nothing more true. Uh, any time somebody's gotten back, at, you know, gotten me, you know, I get back at them by just doing what I do and not worrying about it. Who have you gotten back at? <laughs> you know that's not going to happen. Right. Okay, so, so Lou Schneider. Thing, here's the important thing okay. in the story. Okay. Lou and I taped my shows every night. And mm -hmm. Lou said, Do you, did you tape your shows? Do you tape your shows? I said, yeah. He goes, why don't you listen to it? Because I'm saying, what would you think? You know. So then I listened to it, and I was, and for the first time, I'm like, I'm horrible. Yes, I'm killing, but I'm horrible. Oh, my God, I'm horrible. Um, how is this helping? This is him because we're gonna do like twenty five. Well, can't you like put it back up in a few minutes? Yeah, whatever you want. Okay, so <laughs> so there's a clock. There's a clock in Ventolin. Oh, it's like who the fuck needs that? I just <laughs> did anyone see me on Conan last week? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With the cards, remember I held the cards up to Conan. Thirty seconds, one minute. I took them from the guy who does that because he was making me crazy. So are you distracted that easily? I got ADT pretty bad. So I began, I began showing it to Conan and letting him know when he could, you know, wrap it up and all that stuff. So anyhow, I was terrible. I said, um, I called the blue, thanked him, said I'm throwing away my act. And I'm gonna start fresh. He goes, not all at once. I go, all at once. And what happened eventually was I really found my voice and I relied entirely on improvising. My sets have been mostly improvised my whole career. It's why I don't headline the Chicago Theater is because, you know, I have two TV shows. I could be headlining the Chicago Theater, not should. You know, this could. Um, I could if they papered the house. No, um, <laughs> the point thing is I'm not as well-known as a comedian because I've improvised, and that's a lot of risk, you know? And some nights I'm brilliant, and some nights, ooh! <laughs> you know, and some nights in between, and... So why don't you write right I am right now. I'm okay. shooting my next special in September, and for the first time in 31 years, I am putting together a beginning, a middle, and an end. Scripted stuff out there. Scripted stuff. You know, I did, I want someone to cheese, cheese with uncomplicated and another one-man show here. I don't remember right. the name of it. Um, I really don't. Um, what's that? No Sugar Tonight? No, that was, uh, No Sugar Tonight was not a one-man show. That was me doing stand-up. But it's a good title, isn't it? No Sugar <laughs> The name of my next special is There Are Many Ways to Enjoy Me. 
<laughs> and so if someone said to me, no, there isn't, I'd go, okay. <laughs> Great. You know, I'm not going to get caught up in any of that. So that's, I'm telling you, I've learned. Well, by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't accomplished that. I aspire to that. It's like, um, you know, I aspire to eat healthy and be healthy. But, you know, that's a journey on its own. How's your eating going now in the sugar and stuff like that? Because I know... Sugar, great. Okay. I just had a half a hot dog. Which for you is progress. Because... Yeah, yeah. It... Well, no, 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 no. And, I mean, to me, I have, I have a hot dog once or twice a year. Okay. So... It just I'm seems like every time you come in to do an interview, it's always a sneak away to get a hot dog. It's not sneaking away. I, mean, <laughs> I just said it here on right, the show. Right, I know. Yeah, yeah. It was a good hot dog place, you know. Right. Um, but I know you've, we, we've both struggled with weight and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, well, you've been, you've been doing great. Yeah. You know? It's a struggle. I'm an addict. See, that's why I approach it. Like, I haven't had a cookie or ice cream or any of that shit in over uh, five years. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is I approach it like an addict. It, so explain that. I don't that. even go to OA any, anymore. Uh, I go to an AA meeting in L.A., even though I have no problem with alcohol, because it's like a private meeting. It's filled with, like, rock stars. And, yeah. Well, a lot of times I'll go to meetings OA meetings, and people will stare at me. And or they'll be eating candy bars in the middle of a meeting. That's crazy. And so this meeting is really serious, and I go to that on occasion, and they welcome me, which is nice. But I generally just approach it that way. So what happens if Jeff Garland goes and binges on food? Haven't. Okay, but what happened before when he did? It was sad. It was uh, lonely, it was wrong, it was self-destructive, but we're talking about the last binge I've had was over five years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, binging, and I don't want to be arrogant or have an ego and say it's never going to happen again. Just deal with it one day at a time. I do the best I can. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and then when you're at Second City, you, you get, you've got fired many times there, right? I quit and got fired many times. And then <laughs> the last time I remember... Quit more. Okay, quit more. It's, it's noted. And uh, <laughs> the last time you said something to the cast, it was the ETC show. Do you remember this? Yes, I know this. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I quit and told the director to pretend he fired me. Why did you... Just because he didn't want, I didn't want him to lose. I wanted him. I wanted the. Here's the thing, the cast had a lot of issues, and you know, I never point to jealousy. You know, it's not because some people, oh, they're jealous or he's jealous. I'm like, really? No. But what was happening? I was in the company in the ETC, and. The 7 o'clock show, Fridays and Saturdays, was I Want Someone to Eat Cheese. Which was your one-man show. show. And I, I, when I started, there were like eight people in the audience every night. And then it built to be selling out every night. And I'd walk out with, on the weekend with a couple thousand dollars. Now, it was all good and fine with my cast until one of the cast members came in as they were paying me in these big bills, cash. And from that moment on, they fucking hated me. They were furious at me because they were making 300 bucks a week. And here I am doing the two shows. And they would say, why don't you go do stand-up? That's what it was, you know. And the show we were doing ended up being the shortest-running show in the history of Second City. It was the Our Town? The Our Town thing. Yeah. It was a, maybe less than a month later, it was a best of because the show sucked so bad. Mm -hmm. And I was the only cast member who would point out how bad it was sucking. 
that the premise you was would, bad. You would I would go, say, this is not working. And they would say, fuck the audience. And I, you don't write or play to the audience, but you have to remember you're communicating something to the audience. The audience is your equal, you know? And um, um, the only difference is they can't do usually what you're doing, but still you're exchanging thoughts and ideas. The audience is key. You don't pander, but you respect. See, that's the key thing, respect. And then you respect the audience. So. When I got fired the next day, I went in and I quit, you know, but whatever. Um, it played out like I was fired. And, I, and so I went, like, you know, the director was a nice guy. I said, just, I go, you'll, they'll, they'll love you for firing me, you know, but I'm out, you know. And I went in and I told all of them, I'm going to be a big star and I'll hire all of you. And I left. And I have. <laughs> was that ego or was that confidence? Both. <laughs> Both. If I didn't have an ego, then I wouldn't have said anything, which would have been more appropriate if you asked me. Um, I don't, um, yeah, I, I, I don't wish, because I don't have, you know, I, I look back, you know, regrets. I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, do not you big, have, I'm not big on regrets. Do you have some regrets? I'm sure I do, you know, do you, but nothing. I mean, the regrets that I have are health-related. Like? Well, I had a stroke in 2000. I kind of wish I would have gotten my, my food issues and stuff together at a younger age. I would not have had a stroke. I wouldn't have had to have the back surgery from a car accident that led to the stroke. You know, because I wouldn't have fucked up my back so bad if I was fit. And, uh, you know, so, yes. But the things I've learned from having a stroke, fantastic. What did you learn from having a stroke? That lotion is really an essential product. <laughs> um, um, here's the thing. I had heart problems when I was younger, you know, and then stroke and what have you. Well, you had a serious heart problem. Where yeah, I had a, well, it, wasn't, it was serious, but it could have gotten worse. It was called WPW. Um, ironically, two other people who had WPW, one who had theirs fixed at the same time as me, is Mitch Hurwitz uh, from uh, Arrested Development. Okay. And uh, what's the kid from Arrested Development? Uh, Michael Sarah, who I love, nicest guy ever. Um, Michael also had WPW, and it's this rare heart thing, and all three of us had it. Um, and the odds of all three of us having it, being on the same show together, are like, I don't even know what to say, you know? Um, I'm surprised they even insured that show. <laughs> but I don't think that's even on any of our insurance. Right. It's all fixed. Right. And not, you know, um, it just, well, what happens when you have it is you can suddenly get tachycardia. You know, your heart goes crazy. Uh, I've had that happen to me on stage at Second City, which was a few times. thought I was going to die. The Ooh. other thing that I always... But, it all, but here's yes. the point. Uh, okay. You have a stroke. You have tachycardia on stage. You have heart problems. Anything. What does it do except it makes you more humble? And humble doesn't go in the eye of confidence. Humble goes in the face of ego. Confidence is beautiful, man. But ego is fucked up. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a long-time kick I've been on where I just constantly think about getting rid of my ego. I also meditate. I do transcendental meditation, and that helps. Is it? And that's helped with your ego? Most definitely. The thing that I appreciate about you is your anger, too, you know? I'll get angry. I'm not an angry person. Okay. So can we talk about uh, something with your anger? 
Oh, the car thing? Yes, and I, I feel oh, shame bringing it up to no, you. No, no, don't do okay. shame. It's okay. actually in my show now. I'm actually well, including it in my special. The basic premise is, and I'll just keep it short, was um, I got arrested the beginning of June. Uh, the charges were dropped the next day. Uh, TMZ had the story of me hitting cars with a wrench, losing my temper. What happened was, without telling the whole story, I ha- I, I, a, a woman made fun of me for being fat in a parking situation, which ego, right? What's good? Ego, righteous indignation does not help at all. And all I did was go over to her window, hit on her window to say, who does that? You know, why would you do that? But when I hit on her window, and mind you, I said I had a stroke. I lost a lot of strength in this arm. I mean, I still lift weights and stuff, but it's, I was an athlete. This arm is not nearly as strong. Like when the Cubs asked me to throw out the first pitch, no. Um, <laughs> I did it once, bounced in front of home plate. No fun. Yeah, it was embarrassing, but I made fun of it. Um, so I stepped away from her car. I said, I'm so sorry. And uh, I said, why'd you make fun of me for being fat? And she said, because you are fat. And you have a small penis. And she did a dance. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, this is true. Um, so yeah, like that's the point is at 51, I'm going to start having anger issues, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it was really righteous indignation, which is not an excuse. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, yeah, it's over. It's been long but over. You but you, didn't you spend some time? I went to jail that night, okay. eight hours, because they had to send my fingerprints to um, um, uh, the, the uh, Justice Department mm-hmm. because I'm a first time being arrested, and it took eight hours. Um, and what's funny is all of the cops and, uh, um, I was about to say jail masters. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even played like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but like, um, you know, the, the guards, none of them knew me. Uh, but every prisoner knew me. <laughs> what does that say about the demographic for Curb Your Enthusiasm? Well, there you go. I don't know. But what I found interesting about this story was then you didn't talk about it. Why? When I'm going to get into it, then again, so the ego drops. Okay. And the humbleness comes in, and the the um, you know uh, regret, mm-hmm. short term regret. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what it is now. Looking back, um, but what am I do? Get in a dialogue with TMZ. That's ego. Fuck that. And TMZ so, can report what they want. Okay. I hit her with my penis. So I don't care. Right. <laughs> so my erection was so hard it broke her. <laughs> so you got two sons. You got a wonderful wife. Did you feel embarrassed by this? Yes okay. and no. Um, you know, I. Uh, um, you know, I. You can't. You can look back on something and go, "I wish I would have," but I didn't. And I told my boys about it. They both shrugged their shoulders and didn't think it was big. Um, How'd Marla react? That's a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still dealing with that. I am. And what was I going to say? Then how do you take that, which is an embarrassing moment in your life, and transform it into comedy? Okay. Okay. So when I was in the back of the police car, I thought to myself, well, this better make a good story. <laughs> and it did. It's going to be in my special. So the way I deal with, um, you know, there's nothing better than a story where you're the fool. 
I don't enjoy stand-up where everyone else is the fool. You know, I like it like with Don Rickles, where literally everyone else is the fool, but it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of most comedians' targets are not noble. Their their targets are like really okay, go go to town. And whenever I've picked a target that's not noble, I do get embarrassed to myself and I drop it. You know, you like to make the target you. Love to make the target me. I like. I prefer to have a rule. If anyone's going to look a, like a fool in my stories, it's going to be me. And then, so this happened. And then, how many months does it take you to to, to get to a place where I can put it on stage? I could put it on stage that night. I could have improvised it that night, but I couldn't because of legal things and different things. <laughs> right, you know. And so now, I actually have her approval. We didn't become friends, but I have a thing signed that I can do it, you know. And so you had to contact her? No, I'm not allowed to talk about okay, it. Okay, okay. You know, but I'm allowed to do it in my stand-up now. I just can't, I can tell anything about the story, I just can't give any information about her. Mm-hmm. She's just going to be her. And, and what do you learn, or what do you, how does it help you in your life when you tell this story about something that happened? Nothing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just for other people's entertainment. So you don't feel like empowered, or you feel like no, it's healing? No, that's ego with empowered. I know. I didn't think I'd go on this ego uh, thing today, um, <laughs> but that's what that is. If I'm empowered, I'm not empowered by it. I feel wonderful when audiences laugh, but no, I get nothing out of it. I mean, to me, it's just good material. That's there's substance to it. It's an adventure, and so I, I love it. You know, um, but I don't get anything out of it. I get more out of it than if it was something stupid and lowbrow. You know, it's not lowbrow, so I'm good. Um, are you, are you, we talked about improvising together. Mm-hmm. Are you up for doing a scene? Sure. I'll see those back up. But now's the time to do it. Right. right. Okay. Yes. And that caused him to say that. Right. Okay, it all worked. See? Why you sit from the beginning? It's just a bad... I'm so excited. To time it out? Yeah. <laughs> it's a rush. But you know, this is, this is, to me, this is like the essence of you. Because as long as I've known you, you there's a, is there a sense in your mind, like, I got to fix this, I, this, this, you could do this better? No. Okay. There's a thought in my mind of being in the moment. I'm always in the moment, and I will, when I'm on a talk show, when I, you know, the, the, the I remember doing the, what's that? I've done it a couple times. Um, the um, the Today Show, the last hour with um, uh, Cody and uh, what's her name? Uh, Kathy Lee. Kathy Lee. <laughs> I love them, and that to me is like a throwback to old television. But every stupid thing they do, I just call out and say, "Why are you doing that? What's going on?" <laughs> and it works like gangbusters. People don't do that. That's like one of the great things to do is just say, call out what's happening. Where did you learn that? Or where was someone influenced you? It just something developed. Something chipped, developed, whatever. You just got to trust your voice. You know, I trust my voice. So you never edit yourself? Oh, I will edit myself. I'll stop myself. I'll start saying something. I'll go, oh, I can't say that. And then the audience will always go, no, say it. If, oh, okay, I will. I just keep, I love saying to them no over and over. It happened last night in my show. I started to say something, and I realized that if I said it, they wouldn't understand it, and it wouldn't make me look good. Like, someone else in my position would understand what I was thinking and what I was going to say, but it wasn't the right thing to say. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Um, but they said, no, tell it. And I went, no. So tell it, no. And I said, no, like 12 times. And then I said, I'll outlast you. And then, tell it, no. It became funny, but then I never told it. 
<laughs> so I do edit when, you know, I realize when I start something, oh, that's not going to be good, that's not going to be nice or right. You know, I, stop my, I don't stop myself because of, uh, you know, any other reason than it's just not a good thing. All right, so we're going to take a suggestion. You want to start with the suggestion? We I usually... told you I'll do anything you want. Great, excellent. You were such a good sport, you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that in a lot of ways you become um, easier to, to my experience of you that you become much more relaxed later in life. Do you well, think, you something when you when we were younger and we improvised together. I'm still a nice guy. Yeah, and we yeah, had laughs yeah, yeah, together. Yeah, similar sensibilities. But I had an ego, mm -hmm. and an ego is just gonna fuck up everything backstage. I want to be in the next scene, or you know, I mean, all that shit. You right. know. No, you, and so the difference is now I try not to have an ego. And when you're successful, I have found this, and I've heard this, and it's true, you become more of what you are. If you're a kind, loving person, you're more of that, you know? If you're a self-involved douchebag, you're more of that, you know? So everyone I know has become more of what they are out there, you know, or New York, you know, or even here. Some people have stayed and have been successful. Okay, what would you like to take as a suggestion? Whatever you ask. For. Great. We'll take a uh, location. Panama. Uh, something that would fit on the stage. <laughs> Panama is not as large as you think. Because <laughs> <laughs> that canal is actually only like a sewer airport line. Terminal. What's that? Airport. Well, airport bird terminal. Bird cage. A bird cage. <laughs> bird cage airport terminal. No, 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 no. What is it? Bird airport terminal. Terminal was the first one that okay, could fit on the stage. But you know, bird cage. I just want to discuss suggestions with you. <laughs> <laughs> airport terminal allows for. Uh, all right. Actually, all right. Airport terminal in general will work. Something will come out of it that's human and good. Bird cage. In the hands of bad improvisers is a horrible suggestion. <laughs> now, if Jim and I were to do birdcage, hypothetically, I know that he and I would not be birds, we'd not be in a cage, we'd not be, you know, uh, we'd be something outside of a birdcage that really had nothing to do with bird cages, but the smallest thing, because you and I are good improvisers. Right. But that is, because you can be a bad improviser and you get terminal, you'll be fine. But you're a bad improviser with birdcage. Well, it's your, you're the audience member, you want to give that out, that's your business. <laughs> um, I'm glad you said that. Because when I heard birdcage, I'm like, oh, fuck, we got to be in a birdcage. No, it's going to be Jeff and I as we parents. Could be, we could be birdcage salesmen at mm -hmm. a convention. Mm -hmm. I could be a guy coming in the pet store. You only want me to get a birdcage, but I have a dog. Mm -hmm. There's so many. There's, so, there's a lot of different things. I really got to meditate more. Well, I think meditation would help someone like you. In what way? <laughs> no, on, on every level. Mm -hmm. On every level, it would help you. I told you, creatively, it helps me. And by the way, if any of you are ever thinking of doing TM, and it sounds like I'm doing a commercial for that, understand, it's non-religious, and it's not like anything I'm involved with. I don't even, my, the person who taught me is dead. Um, she is, she was a 92-year-old woman. She learned from the Maharishi. Who started She was it. there with the Beatles. Uh -huh. And so it was very badass to learn from her. And she taught me so many different things. And I would go to her repeatedly for no charge, you know. Um, so I just love it. But it's not something that I'm part of, just so you know. Um, 
Yeah, but it, creatively it helps me. Figuring out life's problems helps me. Uh, grounding me helps me. Helps me on every level. All right. It's nice. Great. So what are we going to take as the suggestion? What are we well, going to We should take the first one we heard. Which was airport terminal. The airport terminal. Okay, great. Okay. before the flight goes. Why would they do this? It's for, for deaf people. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. We're, I, I got us a charter with, with the deaf people. That's why I got the tickets. They're so cheap. <laughs> so we're going to be on a flight with deaf people? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. You, you, can, you can play uh, your, your, what is it? The thing, the music thing that you bring, you know, you can play that really loud. And My iPhone? iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like using headphones. It sounds better. The speaker in it is terrible. Do what you want. Do what you want. All right. So that's there's nothing to worry about. With nothing that. to worry about. No. <laughs> now we've never flown before, and you, you know I'm not a comfortable flyer. I know. I know. I got you something. <laughs> I stole this from my dad. All right. Hold no, on a second. No. <laughs> I want something you stole. Yes. It's a muscle relaxer. This is a lot of trust. For me to take a, it's not even like you have a container. No, no. <laughs> if I would have taken the container, I would have gotten caught. All right. Okay. So did you just take one? Yeah, I just took one. At all time you knew you were taking it for me? Yes. Uh, why would he have muscle relaxers like on a counter in the office? And how do you know it was muscle relaxers? Because it said muscle relaxer on the bin. He had a, he has a bin. bin? Yes. <laughs> In his office? Yes. What kind of doctor is this? He's a vet. <laughs> All right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I've always been good. Just swat. No water. No, no. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> With water, I can do like 15 pills of water. <laughs> All right, so hey, it's a nice... Uh, Here's your boarding pass. Thank you. All right. So... They tell the deaf people to, that it's almost time to board, or it is time to board. They're, they're boarding right now. Okay, so then they'll just tell us. They'll tell us, yeah. Okay. Well, they'll do do it in sign, but I, they're going to... Do it in sign? Yes. <laughs> Are we pretending to be deaf? <laughs> like, is it cool that we talk on this phone? Yeah, it's okay. Because <laughs> right. right, it could be a deaf flight. Yeah. <laughs> Are there deaf pilots? Yeah, I think one is deaf. There's like a... They have to have at least one deaf pilot for this deaf flight. Why? <laughs> I, don't, I, I think it's a law. De deaf people have a whole different law. It's a whole different structure. You're telling me that deaf people have a different structure and laws? Yeah. They live by different laws? Different currency. <laughs> deaf people have different currency? Yep. Yep. <laughs> but here's the thing. You ready for this? We're going to get laid on this flight. <laughs> this is the strangest flight. <laughs> first off, Come on. First off, deaf women can be very attractive. I've met very. You. Don't get me Marley wrong. Marley Manley. 
Well, the mountain bear, yeah. Which is beautiful. Yeah. Okay. But I just took a muscle relaxer. <laughs> probably for a horse. <laughs> and the idea that on this flight I'm gonna get laid. I don't know what your version of laid is. Will I be sleeping? Yes. Will I be making love to a deaf woman with a, a rock hard erection? <laughs> Why do you have to be so negative? This I, is Who negative? I just took your horse pill. <laughs> you told me it was from a veterinarian. <laughs> and I'm negative. I'm gonna get tired when we get out of this point. If that relaxes me, it's gonna work, right? Yes. So what, how am I gonna get laid? In my dreams? Is that what happens? No. The, look. These deaf people, these deaf women, they're ripe, okay? They love, they love talking people. They love, to, they're turned on by talking Yes, people. yes. They must be in a constant state of being turned on. <laughs> How do they know we're talking? Because, you know, if I, if I was a deaf guy and I knew that, because we won't be. this all time. <laughs> no one knows. Okay, why do you have to? They know that we're not deaf they, because how we dress. <laughs> I, mean, I saw the people who got on that flight. They right. looked just like us. Right. But did you notice all the girls had their hair in a bun and all the guys were wearing um, blue polo shirts with blue pants? They're from a deaf. <laughs> So I'm wearing a blue v-neck with blue pants, blue shoes. I'm blue, man. <laughs> I've got a blue sweater and a blue shirt. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about... And why is their hair in a bun? Because they're... they're I'm sorry I'm they, questioning you. Okay. You're saying a lot of things no, that I don't understand. I'm getting really frustrated right now. I don't I go on I'm many vacations with you, and you always... Before we do this, you get nervous or something, and you ruin it for us. They, they go to a deaf school. They all go to a special deaf school. How did you find out about this one? Because I researched it on the internet. What sites are you going to? There's plenty of deaf sites, all right? Deaf travel? Yes, that's one of them. There's actually a site there's deaf a, travel? Yeah, deaf travel. There's deaf cruise. This, this, this was deaf, deaf charter. Deaf cruise? Yes. You know what happened? On match, I accidentally hit death on my thing, and I'm getting all these things like deaf cruises, deaf things, deaf hookup sites. So that's how you learned about the, like the talkers and all Yes, all of them. Do they call us talkers? Yes. So we're talkers. We're talkers, yes. They they have a a chat room. I have not let go of my boarding pass. Good. I'm sorry I'm getting upset. I, I, I just, I want to have a good time. I want to have a good time. Well, I think that somebody else is being negative. Just me. You're saying I'm being negative. I said somebody else. No, no, no. You met me. Why don't you just say it was me? Why don't you just come out and say, yeah, Roy, you are being negative. Roy, you're being negative. Okay. <laughs> I'd rather have a direct relationship than this passive-aggressive bullshit that we've been playing around with our whole life since high school. Okay. Is that all you can say is okay? I was trying to bait you there in some sort of argument, but you seem to all peace and, you know, chilled out.
You want me to lose my shit, Roy? Yeah. <laughs> you want me to get yeah. crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like that trip in Acapulco. <laughs> that was, you were crazy. That was crazy. Yeah, you were crazy. Okay. Remember the fines? Yeah. I remember I had to go and get you in that prison, and that was pretty scary. Okay. okay. So, you want to do that again? <laughs> <laughs> That's the type of shit it leads to. We're going to go on that plane. Uh -huh. And yes, I'll be asleep. <laughs> That's more a deaf pussy for you. <laughs> so you really gonna have your, you're going to be the lone talker. And feel free to talk to me like a am <laughs> So I'll be out. So just talk away, because they'll love that. Man. They'll be coming to you. You're not just doing this to be nice to me. What do I give a shit? I'm going to be sleeping. <laughs> well, sometimes I think, you know, because of high school and you were more popular than I was and stuff like that, that you feel like sometimes you got to take care of me. Okay. You're the one who keeps thinking about high school and bringing it up. I don't take care of you. You're a self-reliant. You take care of yourself. You're the best talker I know. Because <laughs> I totally forgot about high school. I mean, I, it's... Because you were the lead in the play, and I didn't get this, the, that part that I, I really did. Fiddler! Fiddler, I was a better Tevye than you were. And because your dad was the director, I didn't get it. I was the townspeople. <laughs> Do you not think that it's more responsibility to play an entire town? character? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was Tevye. You were the townspeople. But it was a joke. They were making fun of me. It was because I was 300 pounds they made me the townspeople. It was a fat joke. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. What, do you have another story you want to tell me? You were the townspeople. You did a great job. You portrayed every townspeople. <laughs> I would sing my songs. I sang to the town. It was you. I felt like there were numerous people. Because <laughs> you've never said that. Haven't I? You've never said that. I always asked you how I did. And you said, uh, not now. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Well, I was really good. Now, I was right. really good. In yeah. Fiddler on the Roof, I was really good as the townspeople. You're not just making that up. No, use that as a talking point. It's, a talking point. <laughs> it's not the muscle relaxer talking, is it? I can't say. <laughs> I'm taking it. I can't. How do I know I'm what's making me say? I'm going to take it as a compliment. I was good, wasn't I? Please do. You were fantastic. Thank you. you Thank know? you. Yeah. Thank you. I was the old woman from the town. <laughs> you really remember everything about yeah, high school. Yeah, I remember your parts. I remember <laughs> Carol. Remember Carol? Carol, who played, um, she played the, 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 uh, she, the, the, God, what was that part? Uh, the, 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 Golda, my wife? Yes. Yeah, I remember her. <laughs> <laughs> you did, yeah. And she, uh, we went out uh, for really a few weeks. But I'm telling you, man, Townspeople, you have more of a shot. Because you've got a lot of different townspeople to use one of their personalities. You're right. That was Tevye. And we, but we did sing, we fell in love, and we sang, Do I Love You. Really? Yeah. You, you, did Not you? really, but you know. There was a connection. You mean you guys were tough? No. Really? Yeah, we did homework together. Um, what if I told you she had this thing about sardines? Tell Not me. interested. <laughs> she, knows, she liked eating sardines. She always had sardines in her purse, sardines at home. I asked my mother for sardines. She asked your mom for sardines? We had kipper snacks in that world. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> it was just a strange choice. So you didn't want to be with her anyhow. Oh, I loved her. I thought yeah. she was really cool. I always thought you guys hooked up. Well, you told me you hooked up. We hooked up, and she didn't like sardines. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel better. Well, thanks. I appreciate that's, that's it. The, uh, that's, that's what the I like about it. That's what I like about your friendship. You know that? <clears throat> you, you do things to make me feel good, even if they're not true or not. And that makes me feel good. Good. I feel like I, I don't do that to you. Here's what I find strange. <laughs> They flash those lights. <laughs> They've all got on the plane. The plane is pulled back. <laughs> okay. Do they come back and depart <laughs> and then say, oh, the two talking guys? <laughs> or we just missed our, our death plane? Should I check? Please. <laughs> last time you did an improv scene like that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Like a scene scene? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Did, did that tire you out? No, I'm just tired. But okay. No, it was, it was, I'm no more tired than I was when I sat down to, okay. to start the scene. I'm just, I've been pushing myself so hard. You know, doing, doing a network television show where you work 12 hours most days and you have to learn tons of lines. I'm not complaining. It's a great gig. Don't get me wrong. I'm rich. But, um, I guess comparatively. Uh, not to Larry David. But um, That's like comparing yourself to Oprah. Yeah, like to Oprah, yeah that, but, no, but there's, there's people a lot more rich than me. I mean, even, you know, right. But point being is, um, it's, it was harder than I thought. I was actually supposed to film my next special in May, that's why I'm in town, because mm -hmm. I was working on material and promoting this movie, Finding Vivian Meyer, that I produced. Did I talk about that yet? No, you haven't. Oh, see, that's good. Um, because that would be awful if I had, and I mentioned it like I didn't. Because I've done so many interviews this week about that. I produced this movie called Finding Vivian Meyer. I executive produced it. I put it all together. I have nothing to do with it creatively. Uh, it's about a uh, Chicago nanny who turns out to be one of the great street photographers of all time. And it's like this mystery documentary. It's awesome. And I can say that because I have nothing creative to do with it. Whereas if I had directed it and I say it's awesome, that's wrong. Um, so I have nothing to do with it except I did all behind the scenes things. And uh, it's playing now at the Century and in, in the Renaissance in Highland Park. I don't even know if this is the direction of the Century. <laughs> but I know it's out of here. Um, and it's, uh, so I've been doing, I'm going to Atlanta to do more press. Um, and um, yeah, it's a wonderful movie. And uh, please see it. Um, I don't get any money if you all do see it or anything. I, I got paid in a couple of her prints. Nice. I said to the guy, I said, I'm going to help you do this. And I, I'm not getting involved money-wise. And I feel bad that I did that because it looks like it's going to be a huge hit. <laughs> <laughs> it opened last week in New York and L.A. to like sold out crowds. Does that drive you and crazy? Then, no. Okay. Not at all. Because you, so, you have so I'm much fine. money now. No, it's not a matter of so much money, but I'm doing fine and, and I'm happy I did what I did. So, mm -hmm. no. No, no, no. All right, so quickly on the scene, you were cracking me up. I saw you like getting ready to laugh. Yes. 
But you held it. Yeah. 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 I was having a really good time with you. I always have a good time with you improvising. Yeah. Now, improvising with you, I don't remember the last time. Probably at the annoyance when it was on Clark Street. Okay. Um, you know, up by Wrigley Field. Yes. That probably the last time that we improvised. And maybe I'm thinking it was uh, during one of my shows where we just happened to be doing a scene or something, even though it was monologue-based. Yes. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you've become a better improviser uh, since Curb Your Enthusiasm or a better actor? The more you do something, if you're good at it, you get better. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think I'm definitely better than I was then, and I'm getting better all the time, whatever I do, because I'm open to growing and learning, and I don't think I'm a complete you know, thing, you know? So I'm just, yeah, I'm always getting better. We're going to take some questions from the audience. Just all right. Break, what about right now? And, can we not do that? <laughs> I haven't uh, mentioned I'm scared of people. Oh. All right. Uh, we could put the house lights on? Yes, Tom. Hi. Hi, Tom. Hello, Do you know all the members of your yes, audience? Yes, I do. <laughs> we get together at holidays. It's wonderful. Yes, yes, Tom. You spoke a lot of ego today. Was yeah. there a specific occurrence in your own life where you decided not to live through ego anymore? And put right Just something that I learned. over, And I've only learned it in like the past half dozen years it's been you know so we're talking in my 40s I started picking up on that but it's not there wasn't a moment you know the last moment of nothing good comes from ego is when I hit that woman's window out of righteous indignation see nothing good came of that I mean maybe a good bit but no you know that's ego do you believe in therapy at all I do I go to therapy I have a therapist in New York I do not have a therapist in Chicago although I do know my old therapist who's here, and I have uh, uh, one yeah, therapist in L.A., too. Okay. So when I go back and forth, I... I've got a couple. I go twice a week, and yeah. if you need one, uh, i got a good recommendation. Well, I'm good here. Okay, all right. You know? But if I do, thank you. I really, I know a couple you. people that... I very much believe in therapy. Therapy, a great therapist is magical and great. My big thing that I have to do, no matter what town I go to, is acupuncture. I have to go. How does that help you? It helps me physically, mentally, emotionally. Same as, as uh, it just, you know, uh, no one knows how it works or why it works. It just works. Um, you, it can be something as, ter- as simple as you're filled with anxiety and it calms you. Or I played golf for the first time in like two years the other day and my lats were just, oh my God, I pulled something. After three holes, I had to stop. I was in so much pain. I went to my acupuncturist, and boom, that afternoon I was fine. Great. Let's take another question. Right right here? Uh, a lot of the characters that you play seem very like close to you or like they're written for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is that is, like a trend that you have parts written for you? Because you fit them so well, it seems like they're all like, just for you. No, that's not, you know, I, I am like, um, the part in the Goldbergs wasn't written for me. It was based on his father, but I was the right person to play it, you know. It were, I was actually writing a show for, I was, you know, Curb can still happen. Okay. Um, Larry's busy doing something, I'm doing this, but part of my deal with the Goldbergs was with ABC and Sony, who make it, um, that I could still do Curb Your Enthusiasm. I wasn't going to be the one to end it. Um, so, you know, I can still do Curb Your Enthusiasm. And the Goldbergs, I was writing a show for Netflix for myself, which I'm now writing as a movie, um, a real dark noir comedy. Uh, it's 
totally different than anything I've done. Um, but uh, like the Goldberg guy, uh, what's my character's name again? Murray. Murray, yeah. <laughs> Not a joke. The other day I couldn't remember my daughter's name on the show. I just, you know, it's, I only got enough room, you know. <laughs> um, so Murray is based on his dad and it fit like a glove. Uh, my character on Curb Your Enthusiasm, I just started playing it. It was written by Larry. There was no thought to who, you know. And then, you know, a lot of different movie parts I know are written for me sometimes, sometimes not, you know. Um, but I don't pay attention to that at all. Murray on the Goldbergs is angry all the time? Not all the time. What is, what is your, a lot. What is the secret, comedically, of playing anger? Because a lot of people are afraid. No, 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 no. Okay. It's not a matter of anger. It's playing it true. Okay. You have to read what's written, and if the character's angry, you just play it. If it makes sense. You know, there's times where I'll get the script. Very few. The show is well written. But I'll get a script and I'll go, this makes no sense to be angry or no sense for me to wear my tidy whities You guys are just doing this for a goof. Let's fix this. And they always fix it. You know? So if you're true to what's going on, it's like comedy and crying. Um, crying, for the most part, doesn't help. It doesn't help comedy. Like, the only time I can remember ever laughing hysterically at someone crying was the original Heartbreak Kid, um, which, if you haven't seen that movie, you have to. Charles written, Grodin. Yeah, written and directed by Elaine May. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So, oh, did she write it? Maybe, you know who wrote it? was um, uh, Neil Simon, I think, wrote it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But she directed it, and it's a brilliant movie with Charles Grodin, and um, there's a scene, well, I don't want to even say what it is, to, but there's a scene with crying, which is great, but in general, Acting in general, I'm not an expert, but I know what I like. And there's nothing better than coming to the verge of tears. Just the verge of tears. I'll tell you two moments where, and they're both in Wes Anderson movies, which I think are amazing acting. Um, when Bill Murray finds out that his father's not a brain surgeon but a barber, and he nods, um, and you can see him on the verge of getting watery, but he doesn't. And the best crying one was actually Ben Stiller in the Royal Tannenbaums, where at the end of the movie he tells his father, played by Gene Hackman, that he's had a tough year. And, I, and he was right on the edge, right on the edge of losing it and falling in his father's arms. But he did, and that was so great. Oh, was that great. So I love that, you know. But, you know, crying, and getting, and anger a lot of times is bullshit too. People use that. Whenever you see someone slapping their legs, when they're angry, it's because they don't know what to do when they're in a scene. That's a very common thing. Watch for it. And I'm not talking about on TV. I'm talking about on stage. People do this. And it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm going to get angry because I don't know. Um, so you just got to play the truth. So there's no, there's no technique for it. I don't know anything. And know. the thing is, you're not a trained actor, because I remember here back in Chicago, it was like, there was some class, Meisner, you didn't want to take Meisner anymore. because no, you I was thought, kicked out of Meisner in New York. But, but you thought... <laughs> I did learn with the Pivens here, I studied with the Burn Pivens. Burn and Joyce But you Piven. said Meisner, you're like, I don't want to do Meisner anymore, because it's getting in the way of who I really am. Well, no, what, what happened was, in, in the Meisner class, it was, you know, you repeat, and then you go into the scene, and the class would laugh at my choices. <laughs> But they were organic choices. They weren't choices of like, oh, I'm going to make them laugh. It was the choices I made. And I said to the teacher, I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm not trying to fuck you and your theories, you know. He felt that, and I was gone. So. Great. Another question? Yeah, right up here. Uh, who, as far as comedians or improvisers, do you really enjoy watching? 
Oh gosh, I don't know. You'd have to say someone's name, and then I'd tell you. <laughs> I mean, my what's that? Doug Stanhope. Why would you bring his name up out of nowhere? I don't get a lot. I don't see Doug very often. No. Um, I just think he's great at improvising on stand-up. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, by the way, I hear great things about Doug. I were acquaintances from a long time. I mean, like thirty years. I don't really know him that well, and I don't know his work that well. I never cross paths, but I hear nice things about him. But your influences were Jackie Gleason and Lenny Bruce. They were Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, Albert Brooks, Woody Allen, um, uh, Mott's, I mean, any one of the great comedians or great comedic filmmakers. Paul Mazursky, that was a great filmmaker, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, Preston Sturgis. I mean, there's tons of, you know, um, people that I adore. Great, let's take another question. Right here. Can you talk a little bit about your writing process? We know that you don't like to write in a journal. <laughs> right, but I do have a writing process, and that is my best writing comes out at night and in the morning. And I usually, I try, I, I don't write very often at night, um, just because I'm a father and things are going on. But early in the morning, best time to write, and I get it done. So I write for like an hour or, or two if I can. Anything more than that. And even when I'm writing with someone, I, I can never be on the staff of a show because I can't focus that long. So for me, a long, long writing session is three hours. I wrote a book, and when I wrote the book, I found myself having to write for entire days in my office. And it was depressing and hard, but I did it. So I know I can do it, but I don't like doing it. I just try to get up in the morning and write, and I try and do it every day if I can, you know, um, after I meditate and do a little exercising. But that's ideal, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, I aspire to that, you know. But there is no, and I write longhand. Um, I don't write into, you know, a lot of people, everyone has different things. I always say, just if you write, there you go. You know, you've written, you're writing. Doesn't matter afternoon, morning, 15 minutes, six hours. You're writing. Writing is the most challenging, difficult thing. There's only one worse job in show business, and that's being a producer. Because a producer does, a, a real producer, not someone whose name is plopped on there, a producer does all the shit jobs that no one else wants to do. So that's a sucky-ass job. Um, but in terms of uh, acting, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy, because you really got to focus and learn your lines. and. Especially in theater, you really have a lot of... Theater is the actor's medium. Like every medium has their own. Film is the director's, television's the writer's, I think, you know. So, um, you know, you put in whatever, whatever you... They're all, but boy, oh boy, actor, performer, you get the accolades. You get the people, hey, we, you know, when you're the, <laughs> when you're the writer or director or producer, it's more, you know, no one knows who you are. Um, two, two things before you go, because okay. we got to wrap this up. Okay. Um, what advice would you give somebody starting out today? Someone starting out today? In comedy, yeah. It, it's the same advice that I give my children, and they, I don't know if they get it. One saying, which is, uh, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. And the other thing I would say is, sleep eight hours if you can. Read the classics, read great books, go see theater, go do everything that has nothing to do with your actual way you go about doing your art. You'll figure that out. The other things are all there. Eating right, 
taking care of yourself and reading and, and seeing things that, that have substance because then it fills your mind and your soul and your body with things to make great choices and become a great artist. Um, and how you become an artist, there's no direct path. So however you do it, and I would say it's the same advice for anyone in any art form. And then the other thing is, you told me years ago, the only thing I want is to be in a, what would be considered a classic sitcom. Did I say that? Yes. Well, I've already Head, done it then. Okay, so what's next for you then? Just keep working and, you know, my, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. I'm, yeah, I just keep chugging along, man. I don't, I don't really, I, you know, I don't, we'll see. I don't know. All right, I'm going to tell you this. This is a good way to end. <laughs> So, a friend of mine has a son who I met today for the first time, and I've heard about him for a long time, and he started liking me from my direct TV commercial. And he watches the Goldbergs, and he only wanted to meet me. He was so excited. Now, I don't, he's, he's mentally challenged in some way. I've never gotten into the details, but he's very effusive and excited, and there's a lot wrong. He's like 17, you know, whatever. And so they were driving me up to the guitar place from my place. Because he said, can my son meet you? And I said, yes. And sweet boy, like instantly, I just love this kid. And the sweetest face. And we driving up there. And every once in a while, as his dad were having a discussion, he'd just chime in, really? Yay! Or something. <laughs> so we're passing by the Children's Hospital on Lincoln, which I understand the, um, they've moved to down by Northwestern. And I go, I wonder what they're gonna put up there. And he from the back seat says, I don't know, Jeff, I don't know her. I don't know, Jeff, we're just gonna have to wait and see. <laughs> right? How simple, how pure. And so as far as what I do, I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see. Jeff Garland, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. Episode 82, the Jeff Garland episode. And how can I ever thank Jeff Garland over the years? for all the interviews and all the career advice and support he's given me. I'm going to do it right now. Thank you, Jeff, very much. I really appreciate it, and I love you. Uh, I also want to thank the good people here at Stage 773 for making Improv Nerds so welcomed here in their home, uh, Stage 773 in Chicago. Uh, they treat us like a rock star. We can't get any better treatment than at Stage 773. I want to thank my producer, Ben Caprero. You're hearing my voice because of Ben Caprero. He's the one who makes it sound so slick and so professional. You've probably figured this out because I've said it a hundred times. We are on feralaudio.com and we're not alone there. It's a podcast collective. People like Chelsea Peretti, Steve Agee, Matt Dwyer, Dan Harmon, Todd Berry. Name drop, name drop, name drop. Go to Feral Audio and name drop with me. Uh, you'll love their podcast. And if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning classes and my Improv Nerd blog, it comes out every week. Get on our man 
mailing list. We, we send something out every week, uh, a wonderful blog about how to become a better improviser, uh, offstage and onstage stuff, inside what's going on in your head and what you can do techniques to become a better improviser. So uh, if you want to get on our mailing list, go to jimmycarain.com. Also, please, 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 I'm begging you to go to our Improv Nerd Facebook page and like us. It really helps with my low self-esteem. And I want to thank you guys for listening. I couldn't do this without you. I really, really appreciate it, especially all the emails and the Facebook messages and all the kind words you've been saying about Improv Nerd and how it's helped you with your improv and your life and all that stuff. Please keep those coming. I really appreciate that. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 